This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McCray. Corey Flournoy is always a popular guest on our show. We are once again talking about the divide between urban and rural America. How do our differences and similarities impact agriculture and our daily lives? Why should we care and what can we do? Plus, in the back half of the show, Corey offers some insights from his current work on when driverless trucks will dominate the road. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. One of the biggest concerns for farmers are rising input prices, and at the top of many lists is nitrogen. Even with those higher prices, you still need nitrogen on the farm, and I'm looking for ways to increase bushels while still using more sustainable farming methods. That led me to Pivot Bioproven 40, which can produce up to the equivalent of 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. Turn to a better nitrogen with Pivot Bio. You can learn more by going to pivotbio.com. In 1994, Corey Flournoy made headlines as a student from inner-city Chicago who became the president of the FFA, the Future Farmers of America. Over the years, I've gotten to know Corey and have even visited him in Chicago. Certainly, on the surface, we seem to have our differences. Corey is a black guy from a huge city. I'm a white guy from a very rural area. I found that Corey doesn't tell you how to think, but I value having him on the show because he helps us to think about controversial subjects from a different viewpoint. That doesn't mean we need to change our views necessarily. It's simply a chance for us to hear from someone who knows rural America and agriculture, yet has a background and lives in a place far different than many of us who live on or near the farm. This time, we hit on many topics, everything from gun rights to the future of driverless trucks. That's certainly a wide range, so let's get started. Corey Flournoy is once again my guest, and you have heard Corey on this broadcast before. Corey, welcome back. Hey, thanks for the invitation to come back. It's always great to have time with you, Andrew. Many of you know a little bit of Corey's background. Corey grew up in the city of Chicago, still lives in the city of Chicago, former national FFA officer, has worked lots in rural areas, still speaks to many agriculture groups. But I think one of the big reasons we have Corey on this show is to talk agriculture, but to talk points of view. And Corey, you help us, I think, see things through a different lens, which is great. We all need to do that. So here's where I'm going to start. Uh, This is the middle of June. We are about ready to hold something called Juneteenth. And part of the country says, what is Juneteenth and why does it affect me? So that's where I'm going to start. Sure. Well, I think it's important to help people understand a little bit about the history of Juneteenth. Um, It it really is the, the ending of slavery and the real ending of slavery. And, and recognizing that there were parts of the country, even when sla- slavery became illegal, it still continued to happen. <laughs> and so Juneteenth is a celebration of when it actually really did end. And I think it's important to also bring up that impacts all of America. Um, slavery, by most people's account, was not one of the positive parts of our country's history. And the, the, the thought of enslaving other people for labor and everything else that went along with that, it was just was not a good part of our country's history and 
And so Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday was just recognizing that. It's just similar we've done to recognizing that um, there was land that once belonged to Native Americans and Indians that the country took. And so we, our country has paid dearly and has paid a lot of money um, in reparations and supporting Native American communities, recognizing land and money lost. And the same is true, I guess, in this case of Juneteenth, of recognizing this part of our history. I'm curious, growing up, was Juneteenth always something that you thought of in a sense uh, thought about the holiday because I think for a good chunk of our listeners in rural America, they say, I didn't know much about Juneteenth until maybe a year or two ago. And that is, I mean, I grew up not knowing anything about Juneteenth. In fact, I, I mean, I say anything probably in the last five years or so about <laughs> Juneteenth. Um, and that's part of why it is become a federal holiday because there really is limited history sometimes of understanding um, parts of our country's history. There are certain things that you're taught in high school, you're taught in elementary school about American history, and then it's parts that, are, that we don't talk about. Um, and this is, that's the reason why Juneteenth has become a greater conversation piece, because it, is, it has been part of our ignored history. We think back to when you were on this program last time. Certainly, I think we were discussing some of the, the aftermath, if you will, of the George Floyd case. Have we made any progress in getting folks regardless of uh, race, but where we live in this country, pulling together at all. Give me a little hope. Ooh, have we made any progress? Only to the extent I think we're probably having the conversations more. And even then, we live in a country and time where just many things happen week by week that push some of these other stories to the back burner. Um, George Floyd, we just celebrated, I celebrated, we just had the two-year anniversary of his death, of his murder. Um, and I would imagine that for most people, it went by almost unnoticed. Um, especially when we have mass shootings and COVID still going and the economy's bad. It's just, that's what happens, right? And so um, it's interesting that until things personally impact us, we tend not to give much notice to it. Um, and that's something we have to change as a country because when we care, think about and take care of one another, we're all better as a country. So why should people, I think it's right that we should care about others, but how do we get folks to think about that more? Because some of these issues seem to be, while tragic, seem to be geographically at least far from us. And perhaps in other ways, they seem far from us. And Many of us would say, well, I just got to take care of myself and my family and gas prices or whatever they are. And so I'm just worried about all that stuff and everybody fend for themselves, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting philosophy, right? Um, the truth is, is that almost eventually it becomes your turn for something. Right. We've talked about, you know, so it's is is not the arm. It's not to shoot of an arm, unarmed black man. But how many cities, states, rural, small towns, large towns have we had mass shootings now? Um, it's happening more and more. Um, and, you know, today it's not our story to talk about as someone personal who has happened to us. But will that be the case a year from now? Um, yeah, it, it is. Yes, we have a responsibility to take care of ourselves. But, I mean, even both of us being spiritual people like that's. That's the root of what Christianity, I believe, is, is, is the belief that this, this man came to help others. 
who was selfless and and the power of what true love is true love is selfless and so if we truly are people who are spiritual who are religious who are connected to that's at the root of what spirituality is is caring about others particularly those who, who don't have the ability to care for themselves or or someone who has been persecuted like that's that's what that's what the root of what humanity is right um and so yes i get it like i don't have time to focus on what's happening in the world but when it becomes our turn because it will become our turn will people stand up and care about you and, and show concern even if it doesn't personally impact them you mentioned violence there uh, a little bit earlier, and certainly we've had tragic events. Uvalde, which interestingly is a town that I know because I have traveled through it several times in the last two or three years, of all things, doing stories uh, for this program, uh, which is interesting how you're connected to different places. But some of our listeners will not know, uh, you know, you grew up uh, at least a part of your time on the south side of Chicago. One year when I visited you, we stayed at your house, and I remember that the home we stayed in had a pretty thick front door with a few locks and some iron bars on the outside. Uh, I guess it was a fairly rough place. So I guess here's what I'm getting to. You live in the city of Chicago. You have lived in what I'm going to say are some fairly rough areas. So how does your view of the violence and I hate to use the word gun control because that always sounds like somebody's trying to wrestle control and, and have full control. It's really more of a dialogue. I'm just interested in your thoughts based on where you've grown up and, and what we've seen and how we help bring people together to somehow avoid tragedies in the future. Yeah. I, I think one of them is by separating multiple things that sometimes get mixed together. Right. Like I think that U S citizens should have the right to protect themselves and, we have a constitution that allows people to have to own a gun. And I think that's, that's fair. Um, the issue becomes when people use guns for bad reasons. Um, number one, taking their own lives. Cause that's the number one use of how guns have, have been used, misused is um, people um, doing suicide, but also this concept of using a gun um, to take someone else's life who, who unwarranted it's illegal or in the case of most recent mass shootings. Um, and so, you know, growing up in Chicago, you know, in the house you mentioned, it's more about theft than it was even about the, the physical violence. But um, it is it is this understanding. Here's how, and I, I again, not to go down the, the gun control um, slope because um, that would just not go good. But it is the theory of this, right? Like, here's my philosophy. This is just my philosophy. So this is not everybody else. You know, you know that uh, up until 1968, it was legal to own live hand grenades. However, Congress and laws that came to determine like that's not a potential good thing for regular civilians to have hand grenades, right? Because even if one was to say I use it for my own physical protection, could you imagine now an eighteen-year-old having a hand grenade, right? Like when it comes to that's not protection. Anytime you use a hand grenade, you're causing mass devastation, right? Uh, potentially to the person using those around it. That if you equate that, what's the difference between that and some of the guns that? As you've heard when this, this, in the most recent shooting in town you talked about, um, I was watching recently that there were kids whose body parts were blown apart based on the use of the gun. Like they're missing a whole chest. And it'd be like, you're not using that for self-defense. You're using that to cause mass destruction. And why do we, I mean, is that about protection? And so that's, I think there's some great dialogues is ask. It's not about gun, gun control. It's about 
what do we actually really need to protect ourselves versus causing great physical harm to, if you're being honest, it's hard to rationalize, really, do we need that, <laughs> right? And so those are the kind of discussions I get in. And, and, and people say, well, Chicago is a violent city and, you know, why don't, we, why don't we focus more on that? Yes, and a problem can be a problem in multiple different communities in different ways. Gun control needs to happen here in the city of Chicago and other major cities where there are young people and some people involved in gangs and drugs who are using guns. That's wrong. And also an 18 year old having access to mass having weapons that takes out a whole elementary school. I think we can all agree it's not right as well. Talk about Chicago there, because many times in this national discussion, Chicago gets brought up and they say, oh, Chicago passed laws, but look how bad it is in Chicago. You live there. Tell me about the situation. And has there been progress made there? Or what can we learn from both good and bad about Chicago? So here's the truth. This is actually funny. And, it, and I'm going to use the serious thing of guns and then also talk about something more minor. Um, Chicago has very strict gun laws. Our problem is all the surrounding states do not have very stringent gun laws. And so we found in most of those cases, the guns were not actually bought in the city of Chicago. <laughs> they were bought over, over state lines and brought in, and that's where, that's how they get them. And so that doesn't help us because people are just find access to David how to get it outside the, the state. Similar to fireworks. Like, it's been illegal to have fireworks in, in Chicago and Illinois. And you would never know that if you're here on 4th of July Memorial Day because everyone just drives over the border to Indiana and bring them back in. So that's what our actual issue is, is it would take a number of states, a number of locations to all have the same kind of laws and, and enforcement in order for us to see a decrease. Right. So that's one. Um, two, people talk about, well, you know, black on black crime is high. Well, most actually the crime rates for every ethnicity towards their own is higher, you know, more white people kill more white people. Um, and we can have a whole different discussion on a different concept of why do I think there's so much um, high level of crime and murder in the black community? I think that's an interesting conversation to have. One I won't go in today, but if you want to have me back, I would love to engage in that conversation because I, I, I personally have insights because I know people who have been both the victim, but also perpetrators of some of those violence, some of the violence. You know, in rural America, where many of our listeners are, certainly uh, guns are an important part of hunting and shooting sports and have been since a lot of farms and ranches and so forth were, were founded. So is there a way that uh, people can still enjoy that and not feel threatened that a piece of that life is going to be taken away? I think that's uh, part of the argument against it is, is I'm afraid if we start down this path that someday what I legally do and legally enjoy is going to be taken from me. And certainly that's legitimate. You don't want to have something that's a part of your life and you've done legally forever taken away from you. You know, I think that's just also been, we, that's just how that we always do, right? You know, if you allow this group to get married and, you know, some people want to marry animals. Well, I don't know why it's always this, this extraordinary jump to where things become. The truth of the matter is, <laughs> like, no one wants to take away guns that people rightfully use in hunting and those kind of things, right? I mean, like, that's not the, that to say that if you lose one, it becomes a slippery slope towards other things is just not true. Like, it's just not, like, you know, it's, it's just not the way life works, you know, a person, you know. So I, I think we have to learn, think about being, how to be more sensible of allowing people, encourage people to buy guns for, for purposes that are legitimately used for a sport hunting, self-protection, that's great, but also recognizing where there may be a limit because now we're talking about something that is truly used to cause mass devastation 
um, if it's in the wrong hands. And a lot of times we don't have a practice to make sure these things don't get into the wrong hands. Let's jump over a little bit. Certainly we're talking about urban versus rural types of viewpoints. You continue to speak to groups in agriculture, continue to get out to different areas. You know, I, I know it varies because you have a busy schedule. What's on your mind right now when you go out and talk to a group in agriculture or rural America? If you're asked to speak, is there a specific topic they're asking you to speak on? Or if you're just said, hey, you take it away, what do you like to speak on? Because you certainly see things from a different lens many times. Yeah, uh, I think I talk about multiple things. One of them is we any community does himself a, a disservice when we choose to stick only within our own community and have dialogue and conversation just within our own community and not with others who need to hear it. So if there's a feeling that urban people don't have an appreciation and understanding of what the value of rural communities, it's probably true. So how do we do, how do we change that? How do we change and create a way that urban people understand more about the value and importance of rural America? Um, and we do that. That's how we met through ag education, right? That you know, agriculture education is, has a house now created an opportunity for so many young people to understand more about rural American agriculture. And even if these young people don't end up in ag, you now have created advocates um, and, and um, people who will fight and understand the importance of agriculture. Reversely, uh, how many rural people truly understand urban communities? Um, a lot of people are afraid to go to urban communities because you see things on TV. And I can tell you, I use Chicago as an example. Um, have you ever Googled to see where Chicago ranks in terms of murders? We're not in the top 10 most by most lists. It's just the media has made it like, if you walk, if you leave over here, you're getting shot. Not quite the case. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not like that. Um, so I, I just think it it takes the, the, the I work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the number one solution I always talk to rural groups about is the number one thing we can do is gain experience with someone who's different than yourself. Um, you know, you, you and I have been friends. Uh, I won't actually put a number of years there, probably, probably 25, almost 30 years now. Um, and we've learned so much from each other. Um and because of that, you can't help but have a greater level of empathy for each other. And that's the key. So I talk a lot to rural groups, uh, to you know, rural communities about, hey, again, if you look at the five people you know, you talk to most, how diverse are they? Um, not just in terms of gender and race, but in terms of political beliefs and how they see the world. And if everyone you're around has the same point of view, you probably have a very limited point of view of the world, period. And so... What are you doing to expand your network? It doesn't mean we have to agree, but the more you meet people of different religions and different political beliefs and where they live, you just expand the way you see the world and you can't help but create empathy. Um, that's it. So I think most people agree with what you're saying, that it's good for us to understand others and so forth. I want to take it to a different level. I think those are very important, but you deal with businesses doing this. So give me the, the viewpoint that, hey, yeah, it's the right thing to do, but you should care because it's good for your bottom line, because that's what you're working with businesses on, correct? Aren't you trying to help them do this because they think it's the right thing to do, but it also is good business? Oh, yeah. So I have um, this is the third company I work for as a chief diversity officer or some some level of that kind of position where, uh, you know, for Groupon, which was an app that helped people to find discounts around the around the world. Um, yeah, I 
we help people to recognize that if you have diversity, you understand customers better, you can market to them better, um, you can provide opportunities to help, and in this case, minority-owned businesses. So Groupon was successful when we thought about how we, you know, work to target and help certain communities. In my current job, which is a crazy one of working for a company that's creating the technology behind self-driving trucks and cars, you know, can you imagine the day when you no longer need to be a car and a car shows up and just picks you up and takes you where you need to go, but also a car that has the ability to recognize um, how to help someone who's in a wheelchair or to become, to be the first time a person's able to have their own transportation who's blind or to have the, the kind of technology which is important that can see the difference in our skin tone and recognize that you're a human and I'm a human and not kill one of us, right? That's all a part of why diversity is important because we have to have people who understand and think about diversity in the creation of these things to ensure that it's safe for all people. Um, and and also I work for Sony Music Entertainment um, as a long-term uh, um, consultant. And I do a lot of work with them too of helping um, people who work in the music business understand different types of artists and, and different type of listeners. And so they can expand their business. So in every case, you can find that kind of angle why diversity truly does matter and make a difference. Tell me where we're headed with cars. Uh, a lot of people in rural America, I, in fact, I just was on a, uh, an event this week where the discussion was, is ethanol going away because we perhaps peaked the number of gas-powered vehicles in 2017. So that may be the, the biggest number we ever sell. We're moving to something different. But look down the road. Where are we ultimately headed? Are we going to not drive our own vehicles anymore and maybe not even own them? Because you said a car just comes, picks us up. Where, where do you see things headed with your company? I, I think there will be a market for everything. I think people who still want to drive and still want to own their own vehicles, that's, that's always going to exist. Um, but I do think we will come a time where it's particularly for trucks. I mean, I think that's a great example of semi, um, semi-trucks, particularly those who do long hauls. You're going to see a lot more of those automated. We actually have trucks that drive back and forth from Dallas to San Antonio or Dallas to Houston with no driver um, or someone actively, you know. And that's how that's going to change the game of how we help transportation and products. When you talk about, especially during COVID, how, how, how much delay things got from getting shipped. Um, imagine, though, we, we're able to do these long trips and get thing, more products to people. Um, so I think it's going to be a game changer and not take away jobs. Because I think that's the other thing. Again, people go to one extreme like, well, if we do these self-driving trucks. What have happened to all the truck drivers? There is actually a huge deficit right now in fighting truck drivers. And when we do find them, they don't stay. I think the hire rate is like 150 percent right now, meaning that most people we hire do not remain truck drivers in a year. It is stressful. It is long hours. It's tiring. We've got to do something to automate that. So I want to go back over something you said. You already have trucks on the road that are driving themselves, but somebody is still in the cab. Is that right? Yes. Someone's still in action in the driver's seat. They're just not actively, you know, in in case something goes wrong, they can intervene quickly. Um, I think I can say this. Yes. Um, In later part of this year, there's a documentary that will come out that my company will be part of. We recently had a VIP who was in a vehicle that was 100% self-driving with no one in the driver's seat. How quick do you think we will see, though, more large-scale mass trucks, vehicles of all kinds driving themselves? How close are we to it? I think it's quicker than we think. Um, I would say in the next three to five years, you're going to see more of it. I mean, we do truck, we do liveries right now for FedEx. Um, so we're, we're going up and down the road, taking FedEx packages. I think it's going to become, I think it's going to grow faster than you think it is. Um and it's funny because in our lifetime, you know, we've we've 
when we were both in college and I'll age both of us, we didn't have cell phones. And I want to say that we both started with very slow internet, right? And like now you can't even imagine the world of that. So yeah, I, I think it's going to come faster than people think it will come. And I think it'll take a moment to get comfortable with it. But if you've been on an airplane before and you and I have both been on airplanes a lot, it's, it's no different. I always enjoy the time. Anything else on your mind before we wind up? I just enjoy these opportunities. And I would say to listeners, I, I, to the extent I have, I love actually still traveling, having conversations. Um, I do Q and A's um, and I am hard to offend. Um, I, I say this always, there's questions that people have in their head. Um, and I am that guy where you won't offend me to ask it. And I, I love engaging in dialogue like this. So um, I will be in Kansas city, later part of this year. I, I still get requests. We can't become better until we grow in knowledge. And I'm, I'm a person who I enjoy engaging dialogue to help people grow. Corey, I appreciate the time as always. All right. Any opportunity I spend with you is a great opportunity. So thank you. Corey always provides plenty of points to consider. Much of his work these days is helping individuals and companies see the world from another point of view. As Corey says, it doesn't mean you have to agree, but it helps you have empathy for others, an important quality for all of us. That's it for this week's show. I appreciate you listening. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or on your favorite podcast platform. And you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook as well. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.